Hey, Parker. Hi, Carrie. How are you today? I've been doing well, but my entire morning was one thing after another. I had went to the grocery store, I had to go to the post office, I had about a thousand errands, and I'm not really feeling like I'm moving at the speed of soul. Yeah, which is our topic today. Coincidentally, uh, we're going to be talking. <laughs> we're going to be talking about something that both of us are trying to learn how to do, which is to slow down. That's a problem a lot of folks have. I think I empathize with you fully about that. That morning. So let's dig in. This is the Growing Edge, and I'm Carrie Newcomer. And I'm Parker Palmer. Always glad to be here. To the words and habit. to us and how we live between the words. So today we're going to be talking about um, overactivity and how overactivity is kind of a violence that we do to ourselves. Right. And we've both been influenced, as you know, by a wonderful Thomas Merton quote that I've lived with for probably 50 or 60 years. Um, it's, it's provocatively titled The Violence of Modern Life. And uh, when, I, when I remember reading that word and I thought, the violence of modern life? I get warfare, I get you know bullets and bombs, but of, of the violence of life itself, which began to make sense to me when I started to understand that violence at its root is violating the identity and integrity, the soulfulness, the selfhood of of another person or of yourself. And there are so many conditions in modern life that do exactly that, including our frenzied, busy mornings, afternoons, and evenings. So let me just read this quote from Merton and uh, yes, do. be fascinated to know what you hear um, as it's as it's read yet again, freshly, uh, given the morning you just had. Merton says, There is a pervasive form of modern violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of the activist neutralizes his or her work. It destroys the fruitfulness of his or her work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. End of quote. I find that as powerful today as the first time I read it. Yeah, I remember reading that about 20 years ago, and the first time I read it, it just kind of made me sit back in my chair. This idea that of uh, that overwork, you know, there's, like I said, as you were saying earlier, that I thought of violence as, you know, a certain kind of activity, uh, warfare, different kinds of hitting another person. I mean, I was thinking in those terms, but overactivity, committing to too much, to be so busy that uh, the root of our inner wisdom gets confused. That, yeah, that's, that's a, a kind power, of violence. 
it's a powerful phrase, isn't it? That it that it kills the root of inner wisdom that makes work fruitful. Um, I've, I found myself just at lunch today. I, I too had a busy morning, and I found myself eating lunch fast, you know, wanting to get into my office to get things set up for this this podcast. And in the middle of lunch, I remembered what we were going to be talking about. <laughs> and uh, I decided in a much more mindful way to slow down. It was just a bowl of soup and some grapes and a little bit of chocolate. So what's the hurry? Um, and and I did slow down and I eventually came into my office, maybe three or four minutes later than I would have, much more at peace, much more feeling much more grounded and ready to have this this conversation but it's a tough go and i think i think merton identifies things that that both of us recognize as pressures in our in our lives that that we want to help everyone and everything and that is to succumb to violence we we are surrounded by a multitude of conflicting concerns we there are many demands on on our lives and this is not just you and me it's everyone. Parents with small children experience that. Working parents, f- folks at jobs of, of all sorts, some of them with very little control over um, what they have to do, what they must do in order to keep that job or to keep being uh, an attentive parent. So there's no judgment here about um, no about about a moral issue, but I think one of our jobs in life is to pay attention to what we need to do to care for ourselves, so that our impact on the lives of other people can be life giving rather than otherwise. I think there there is a sensibility, you know, like to say to another person. Wow, I'm so busy I can barely see straight um, is kind of considered uh, almost virtuous, you know mm-hmm. that there's something like like you're hardworking and you're you know that's that's very much lifted up in our culture um, instead of oh are you all right you know are, are you okay that you're so busy that mm-hmm. you can barely see straight you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the response is you know good for you, you know. But and I I think that's a, you know I think that's something I've had to step back from because you know I'm a hardworking person and I'm passionate about the things that I love and I do and, um, and that's been you know we've had several many conversations about, um, the balance of, uh, you know, being passionate caring about the things that you do, the people you encounter in the world, the people you love, um, and, and being able to, to rest and to center and to find those, that, that, that balance, that calm space that, you know, allows our work to be fruitful, truly fruitful, as he talks about in that quote. Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, it's the rare person who will say, if you ask them, would you have time to meet for half an hour next week? Who who would respond by saying, oh, I've got the whole week open whenever you'd like, you know, no problem. (laughs) You'd you'd wonder about that person. And 
that person would feel like they had lost some points in the in the book of life. I I come at this from a particular angle that more than a few people share, and that is from the angle of of aging. Um, at at age eighty, um, I'm I'm realizing, and I've been wrestling with this for ten or fifteen years, that increasingly my physical and mental capacity to multitask, to speed, to try to take on more than I can possibly do, is slamming into the realities of aging. That's that slowing in my mental and physical capacity or that dwindling of my mental and physical capacity. Um, I, I don't have cognitive issues and I don't have serious health problems, but things do slow down at age 80 in ways that kind of take me by surprise. But since, since inwardly we all feel like we're still 14 years old or 24 years old or 34 years old, it's really difficult, I'm finding, to make that adjustment because that drive in me that has had me working independently for the last 40 years flying all around the country, giving talks and workshops, establishing projects and a nonprofit organization, writing 10 books, trying to be of service as, as much as I possibly can um, in, a in a very needy world, a world that now feels like it's on fire and often has in the course of my lifetime. Um, that, that impulse to do all of that is, is still very much with me. There, there's a, there's an inner uh -huh. part of me that that doesn't want to recognize that I'm 80 years old and I can't do it all anymore. Hmm. And and when when I'm on a collision course with all of that, the result is not pretty. I end up feeling guilty or inadequate or whatever. So there's a, there's lots and lots of inner work to be done at any stage of life. I'm just talking about my stage of life around what's life-giving and what's death-dealing as we respond to the to the multiple needs of of the world um, i know that your your life is very much the same you're in service to so many people on so many fronts with your music and your workshops and your prose and your poetry um do you have any We've, we've asked each other this question before, but who knows, maybe we'll come up with something new. Do you, do you, do you have tips, tricks, and techniques for, oh, for, to share know, with me? Well, we, we do that with one another uh, on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I, th I think one of those the things that we talk about is an awareness, you know, being aware and coming back to that awareness that... Um, you know that there are there are different limitations, and that limit those limitations, whether it's age, whether it's deciding where are my gifts most effective and most life giving for me. Because you know we can do a lot of things. Uh, you know you and I. Um, you know, there's a lot of different places we could put our time and activity and and our activism, our, our love. You know, there's a lot of places we could do that. Um, and at the same time, uh, if I if I try to do it all, um, it's kind of like stretching it all too thin, you know. Right. So so often it, it comes back to asking myself the question, you know, what do I truly love and feel like I have to offer 
right now. And there is a lot of sorrows in this world right now. We feel, I feel sometimes we're living in a time of gathering storm. So, so where do I place my time and my energy in a way that's life-giving to those uh, in the, around me, but also life-giving to myself? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I'm going to I'm going to go back to something you said earlier too that this idea of multitasking. I don't believe that we actually multitask or multitask well. You know, I think we do. I I I was looking at a study. It's like we we actually don't multitask. It's kind of serial, like one thing at a time, and we flip back and forth. And that they did a study and. Um, found that people who felt like they were good multitaskers, I'm a good, identified that, you know, that they were able to keep a whole lot of balls in the air mm-hmm. and make it work. Um, but they never achieved excellence in with any of those balls they were holding in the air. They were just able to maintain mm. in, in kind of a steady state. Um, whereas if I stop and I do one thing at a time, you know, that I, I can actually focus and excel at the ball mm-hmm. that I have, that I just have in my hand and I'm, and I'm, I'm tossing up and down in the air that it's just one, which is kind of how we actually work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But acknowledging that, because I know when I'm, I get drawn into multitasking, I have a computer here at my house and I have a program up that's for music and one that's up for email and there's one up, you know, that if I find myself going from one to the other to the one to the other, um, I don't actually do excellent work on any of them. Mm -hmm. I only do sufficient work on all of them. Yeah. And I have to stop myself and close windows, literally close windows on my, uh, on my computer desk and I say, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do it with all my heart. And then I'm going to do that. And, right. you know, and I, yeah, I think, I think this idea of multitasking is, I, I just, I don't know if it's really true. And I don't really believe that it's the best way for us to try to brush through our days. I agree. I, I think, you know, talking about how good I am at multitasking is kind of like saying, no, I have absolutely no time next week or the week after to meet with you, you know, because I'm so busy, I'm so in demand. Um, when we do retreats, uh, our Growing Edge retreats, we often use a phrase with the participants, at this retreat we want you to give yourself a gift, the gift of doing one thing, just one thing, or one thing at a time. And sometimes people will respond to that by saying, well, that's really great. And I, I feel like I can do that here at a retreat. But how do I do that when I'm back home? And I've, I've thought about that a lot. And I, and I think it goes back to a word you used earlier, which is awareness um, and, and contemplative awareness, really. I mean, I've, I'm the father of three children and several grandchildren. And I know how demanding raising children can be, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and 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 so when I when I'm home as a young father ra- helping to raise my kids, um, there are demands of the moment that that need to be met, even while 
the demands of the work that I do to keep my family afloat are are mm-hmm. haunting are haunting me, right? Yes. Um, uh-huh. and, and so it seems pretty clear as as I step back from all that that the answer is, is to is to find a way for the demands of my work to stop haunting me so that I can be fully with this child yes. or that child in his or her need. And once the the moment when I need to be fully with, and it may be a long moment, has passed, I can then shift my awareness of who I am in the world and what I need to be doing in the world to the demands of my work. Um, that that's a mental discipline. It's it's kind of like it it's a kind of like what I did at lunch today, of just becoming aware that I was speeding on my way to making a podcast about slowing down. <laughs> you know, there it the, is. The, Sharon is not going to be happy with me when she gets home because I was having tomato soup and I splashed it on the placemat and so forth and so on. <laughs> <laughs> you know how guys are. We're just, you know, we're we're just kind of like kind of sloppy, and and um, so I'll clean that up. That'll be a task for later. I'm not going to let it haunt me right now. <laughs> but it was the awareness that slowed me down. It was realizing, okay, I I can eat this soup a little more slowly. I can take my time. I can breathe. I can look out the window at what's happening in the garden. And then I can come up and do the podcast. There will be plenty of time for everything, and and I think that's a, a kind of consciousness that we can we can practice. And therefore, what you just said is a is a is in fact a helpful a helpful tip to let go of the myth of multitasking and give myself yeah. the gift in the moment of doing one thing at a time. I mean, I just wonder how many people who are listening have ever caught themselves really rushing to get to yin yoga. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Where, they, where they can kind of slow down. I mean, I, you know, that's it's like, which I have done. It's like, yes. here I am, yeah. rushing, and, and incidentally, you're, stuff. You're, you're paying for that opportunity when you could actually <laughs> slow down for free. <laughs> well, and, and also this idea that to take that moment, to take those moments, uh, is somehow a luxury. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, every morning I have, a, I have a practice for myself that uh, I, I, I get up early enough that I can sit in silence um, and uh, meditate. I read a little bit of, of some kind of spiritual literature. Uh, sometimes I'll write a little bit, but I used to think that was a luxury, that that was something that you just kind of put in as a luxury. It's not a luxury at all. It, you know, what I'm finding is if I start my day remembering, remembering all over again that, you know, there there is a quiet center, you know, in the swirl of my life, because there is a swirl in of my life. There's a swirl in the world. You know, lots of things are happening. Um, if I can find that, each day, even for just a little while, like, you know, I'm not always a great meditator, you know, it's like, you know, today I did 10 minutes, okay, today I did an hour, but if I stop and remember each day, you know, this is where my heart is calm in the swirl of my life, and things are different, things change for me, and 
um, and that it's not a luxury. It's right. it's right. actually essential, and um, it's something I learn and then I relearn. You know, and I'm getting better at also not, you know that that thing of um, I don't know. I am a hard worker, and it's like like oh, you know. I forgot. I didn't do that. I didn't, you know, I didn't stop today. I, I got, I got up and immediately looked at my email and I didn't do my meditation. Mm-hmm. I didn't read a mm-hmm. little bit of poetry. And it changes your day. And my yeah. whole day is different. You know, and it's like, oh, and then at the end of the day I say, oh, I forgot. And instead of going, ah, oh, Carrie, <laughs> because there's been a lot of time of my life that I would, you know, kick myself a little bit and go, ah, oh, Carrie, you know? And now it's like, you know, more patting myself on the knee. Ah, oh, Carrie. All right, honey. Tomorrow, remember. We'll remember. You know? So, Carrie, I have a radical question to throw into the pot because I go think... Go right ahead. I think with myself, especially, there's sometimes a, a major confusion around the question of what gifts do I actually possess to offer the world? Mm-hmm. Be- because a real problem arises for you, for me, and the world when I'm I'm looking around, I'm seeing all these needs, and I'm and I'm trying to meet needs that I don't have a gift to meet. Uh. Um, because sometimes we look at the needs, especially the sensitive souls among us, and we see this world that's so full of urgent needs. And and we feel that we ought to be able to meet all of them or a lot of them without ever really considering, do I have the gift to offer anything to that particular need? Or is my need to be embedded in a community of people who have a variety of gifts so that when I see a need that is urgent, but I don't I'm not able to meet it, um, then I can turn to someone else and say, you're up, um, you know, let's, let's, let's collaborate in meeting a variety of needs that no one of us alone could, could possibly meet. You know, another thing Merton said that really, really stuck with me, and it bears on this, this point that I'm making, and I'd love to know what your response is, but he said at one point, we are called to give away our hearts, but first we must have our hearts in our own possession. Mm. And, and the modern world either, either robs us of our hearts or deludes us, or we, the ego, deludes us of what's in our heart to offer. And the truth of the matter is, I don't have a gift to meet every urgent need that comes down the pike. Um, you know, I think any one of us would be lucky to meet, to be able to meet one out of a hundred thousand, you know, in the course of our daily lives. So that seems to me to be a part of this equation, because if I'm, if I'm trying to give that which I don't possess, mm. then yeah. I'm going to burn out, um, yeah. or I'm going to get cynical um, about, uh, about this whole business of meet, my, my capacity to meet needs or my desire to even look squarely at the world and see what those needs are. 
Yeah, there's a, a May Sarton poem that at one point she talks about a tree and giving in a way when the when the roots are healthy, the fruit that the tree gives doesn't kill the roots of the tree. I mean, that that it's grounded, that there's something that's always there and nourishing and nourished, and that the fruit that it gives doesn't kill the tree. Um, mm-hmm. And it was an interesting metaphor when I read that poem. And, you know, in a culture of individualism, to to know that I have gifts and I have things that that I can give that are also life giving to me to be able to give and and to trust that there are also other people in the community that are offering other gifts you know it you know I I think that's a really important and the trust in that I think is is really important and I think yeah, I think you mentioned a culture of individualism it's this idea of community is a hard sell in a culture like ours, where we all feel that we have to do it ourselves. And so for some of us, um, un- unraveling this, this this issue of trying to take on more than we're capable of taking on means cultivating some kind of community. It doesn't have to be a big deal, um, but uh, fr- friendship groups, uh, extended family, maybe a religious community for some people, uh, a service uh, community of some sort. Um, and I think that's part of the, the larger service equation that allows us to to meet needs without burning ourselves out and, and without ending up feeling guilty and then often simply withdrawing from that force field of, of needs to uh, to lower our level of guilt. You know... I have a song called The Speed of Soul, and it, it, it was written to really wrestling with exactly what we're talking about today, this idea of of, um, of the speed of traveling at the speed of my own soul. And what does that mean, actually? And um, at one point in the song, I talk about technology, that just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should. You know, mm-hmm. I that this idea that we, you know, we're taking in information at a dizzying pace, you know, and sometimes, you know, having my head full of so much information, important and non-important, you know, it's, it's like, it's like losing my keys in a room that's full of beach balls. You know, it's like, like, where is it? You're trying to find a way across a, a stream that's muddy. Where do you put your feet? You know, so, so some of this is is clearing the space, clearing the water. Um, you know, just, like I said, just because I can, just because I can, I can listen to the news twenty four seven doesn't mean it's necessarily good for me or right. helps me um, to be, you know, most uh, effective in the world and, um, you know, healthy myself. I, I love that song, Carrie. I, it's where I first heard the phrase "the speed of soul," and I and I know it was written in the middle of a very busy touring season, which has been <laughs> and still is such a big part of your life. Could you do that one for us and uh, sure. in, in, inject a musical insight into this dialogue? So this is the speed of soul. Thank you. 
found her sleeping in a Kansas truck stop in the corner booth. She'd been waiting there for months, and that's the truth. She looked at me with wary eyes. She'd heard all my lies. She was not surprised. She only looked at me and shook her head. Come back, come home. I'm gathering the crumbs and the stones. Been traveling faster than my soul can go. One subject line, one click away. But at the end of the day, I couldn't even say the things that I had done. So I spent the morning sweeping floors. I didn't want much more than to do just one thing at a time and call it mine. Come back, come home. Stones been traveling faster than my soul can go. Before songs were grooves and lines, caught in jars like fireflies, the only place a song was held soft or razor sharp was in the heart. Mr. Gatling made a Gatling gun. He said it would end war. Who could send some mother's son through such a door? But bullets move at the speed of cold. Drones do as they're told. And the men go home at night and kiss the wife and watch TV and never see all those souls untethered floating out to sea come back come home we're gathering the crumbs and the stones been traveling faster than our souls can go Thanks, Carrie. It's a beautiful, beautiful song, and I, I love I love that moment when you discover yourself sitting at a truck stop in Kansas and your true self, your soul self, and the soul self is kind of saying, "What are you doing? What what's all this yeah. about? That you're you're going faster, way faster than I want to go," and then you you turn eventually as you move out of that frenzy. 
towards these very simple grounded tasks. I, I guess in the Zen Buddhist tradition, it's like chopping wood and carrying water, right? These, these very simple tasks that, that do move at the speed of soul and that ground us. Um, as I recall, there was a, a story that inspired that, that phrase, the speed of soul, in, in you. Can you tell that story? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. I've heard this story told with all kinds of different contexts, but this, the original way I heard it was um, that there was a group of native peoples um, in the Amazon, and they were they were acting as porters. They were carrying things for a group of explorers, and the group of explorers were pushing it. They wanted to get to the next place, to the next place, to do the next thing, and they stopped for 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 lunch. And it was time to get going again. And the, the people said, no, it's not time to get going again. And they said, well, what's up? You know, what's going on? They said, well, we can't travel any farther in a day than our souls can keep up. And I just really loved, you know, that whole story of not traveling farther in one day than my soul can keep up. Um, and that kind of has to do with technology as well. You know, that the last part of the song is um, about uh, a violent technology that came about that, you know, we think that certain technologies are, are good or they're, they're, they're going to do something. But, you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. It's a powerful image. The Gatling gun, of course, is the technology you're talking about. And it was basically based on the principle that we needed to learn to kill people faster. You needed a weapon that would do that. And that Mr. Gatling said that this will stop war. Right. You know, that because this is so terrible, how could we, how could anyone ever start another war? And that, um, you know, that was really striking to me, this, this thought of, in terms of history and the times when we've had a new technology come in. And, and, not that technology is bad. I mean, there's amazing things that have happened uh, in terms of technology. Um, you know, we can we can work with illnesses that we never were able to work with before. You know, certain kinds of healing, certain kinds of things can happen now that we're just you know we're not using leeches anymore to try to cure things. You know, so right. um, you know, so it's it's not that I'm totally anti-technology. It's just you know, looking at it with a much more uh, wary eye and a clearer eye um, in terms of what what it actually does for us and what it actually doesn't. Remember when they told us that computers were going to make our lives easier right. and save us so much time and that we would all be more connected because of it? Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, cos- the cosmos played a big joke on that on that one. You know what? What strikes me as you as you talk, and I, I'm feeling it now as something important for myself, anyway, is is that frenzy breeds more frenzy. Um, I suppose that makes all kinds of sense on many levels. Um, on the on the geopolitical level, war breeds more war. So we go, we go through the madness and frenzy of a war, and then we decide that. Since that didn't fix the problem, another war will fix the problem. That was Mr. Gatling's false promise that the Gatling gun would end all wars, or that World War I would be the war to end all wars. Uh, 
we keep doing it. We get attacked and we attack back as if that were going to solve the problem. And, and on, my, on, the, on the personal level, I notice that when I'm in a frenzy um, during the day, it's really, really hard to slow down at night. Even, uh, e even yes. if the emails aren't pouring in, I suppose there's a physiological reason. It probably has to do with adrenaline um, mm -hmm. and, and, and other parts of the body's biochemistry. But it, it, it just strikes me that, that finding a way out of that endless loop where you get engaged in frenzied activity and that breeds more frenzied activity and it's hard to sleep that night because you're frenzied and the yeah. next morning you wake up yeah. early and you feel like now I really have to push because I'm tired I'm at the edge of my energy and I really have to push harder which of course is more frenzy until yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe you collapse in a heap um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm really sitting here uh, wondering how does one get out of that and I, I think you, you've touched on answers to that. Meditation is one, sitting in silence, reading good literature, poetry of any sort, spiritual or, or secular, reflective materials of one, of one sort and another, um, realizing that you don't have the gifts necessary to meet everybody's needs, and, and you need to be thoughtful about what needs you're capable of meeting and, and what gifts actually replenish themselves in you so you can keep on giving, like the roots that keep growing the same fruit on, on the tree. And, and that means community, being embedded in a community, or at least a few relationships where you can look at each other and say, I need some help here, or someone else yeah. needs some help here that I'm not able to offer. So for me, if those are some of the fruits of this conversation... Um, I feel glad and grateful that we talked about this today. And I feel like maybe, maybe I'll be able to make a little more progress on it since God ain't finished with me yet. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a work in progress. Well, me too. And, and I think that's important for a takeaway for me too, this idea of choices that I make on a daily basis on a sometimes hour to hour, moment to moment. You know, we don't live days, we live moments. And the choices I made um, and I make, um, you know, I have toured myself into the hospital. I actually collapsed on the road from exhaustion at one point. And it was an incredible lesson for me. Like I, I was traveling not only faster than my soul could go, faster than my body could go. Right. And and making certain choices with that. You know, I remember uh, a friend of mine who had been a mentor for many years wrote me an email after I got out of the hospital and said, uh, and just said, you know, Carrie, it's not up to you that you don't have to do it all that there is a wide community of love out there putting love and gifts and connection out into the world. Um, you don't have to do it all. And it was a really powerful, you know, letter to me. 
And I think about that letter sometimes when I'm feeling frenzied or I'm feeling like I'm, I'm spinning too fast. Like, like this is a choice I make day by day, you know, and I, and I can make the choice to not go with what the world may hold as the, the most wonderful thing to do, the coolest thing to do, or you know, the most admired thing to do, going back to the beginning of our conversation, to say, I am so busy I can't see straight, as being virtuous somehow, that, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to tour this way. I want to be home and present for my daughter. I, you know, different kinds of choices I've made along the way that looked crazy from the outside, or just different from the outside. But, you know, in terms of a takeaway that, yeah, the cosmos is not finished with me yet. And I keep learning this every day and pat myself on the knee again, like, okay, Carrie, remember, remember what you love, remember what you have to give, remember to travel at the speed of your own soul, um, and talk to Parker about it. because he hasn't figured it out either and there's some comfort in that i guess (laughs) and we and we do encourage each other maybe that's a piece of it too you know all these different tools that we have to have a dear friend that you can say you know i'm learning this all over again i think that's exactly and they can say okay keep learning keep learning that's exactly right that's where we maybe revert to the phrase that I've loved for many, many years. Welcome to the human race. Uh, and, you know, rest, rest in the comfort that you're human, which means you have a nature. Uh, and to have a nature means to have both potentials and limitations. And there's nothing shameful about the limitations. Uh, it's just part of who you are. And living into one's true self, I think, means living into one's potentials and honoring one's limitations in the process. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. Now we've got a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. But do it only if you have time. We don't want to make you speed up too badly. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer, and much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and the speed of her soul, which is pretty wonderful. <laughs>